This is Glenn Crooks on Frame. She was born in Atlanta when her parents had to flee the Caribbean island of Dominica due to a hurricane. She made her soccer mark in Canada, over 100 caps as the goalkeeper of the Canadian women's national team, and not long ago was named the first head of women's football at CONCACAF. Karina LeBlanc, undaunted by this enormous task, she's somebody I've observed close up, Karina, my assistant, for four years at Rutgers University. And you may know her from her studio work at Fox for the World Cup this past summer in France. Here today, she talks about the challenges and educational opportunities for women in the CONCACAF region and also spends time talking about her national team coach in Canada, John Herdman, who then left the women's program to lead the Canadian men's national team with a noteworthy 3 to nothing win over the U.S. Well, Karina, welcome to the program, and uh, you are now how long into your duties with CONCACAF as the head of women's football? How long have you been there? How long has it seemed, and how long have you actually been there? <laughs> 20 years. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, just about a year and a half now. Yeah, a year and a half. I came in in August a year and a half ago. So, yeah, it, it's been great. It's been you learn a lot. You know, you you learn when to talk, when to not talk. You learn when you've said too much. <laughs> but you also learn to be around a team that everyone is passionate about growing the women's game and, and growing the game of football. So, for me, I've learned so much, and I'm so happy this year and a half. I spent 20 years because I feel like I've learned so much. Well, you were hired in August of 2018, if I have that right. So what what have you um, what has been encouraging up to this point? You, you kind of referred to some of the things that are that are growing. Like, wh where do you see the greatest growth right now? Well, we we released our strategy, women's football strategy, first time ever for our. Confederation, uh, one of two to actually have a women's football uh, strategy. UEFA is the other one. So right before the World Cup in Paris, uh, we stood on the stage and we said that we're we're taking this to another level. And it wasn't just a hiring of me for a name of hiring somebody to, to run women's football. But we've now put our money to where our actions are and we're, we're making steps and growing the games to improving lives of women in our region through like changing the perceptions more participation and building sustainable foundations. So I'd say the biggest thing is the world cup obviously had a huge effect, obviously here in America, but it had, it impacted all 41 of our countries and Jamaica being the first ever team to qualify from the Caribbean countries. And that was big because young girls could now see girls who look like them and talk like them, make it to the world stage and, you know, in North America, I think the response, everybody knows, it's just been an amazing impact and, and, and for the positive. And as you uh, travel around, uh, you can more than feel it. It's beyond sensing it. Uh, it is feeling it. Is uh, you, you see it in front of your eyes? Yeah, I mean, that's the best part is that now when I travel throughout the region, and, and for those who don't know, CONCACAF is North America, Central America, and all the Caribbean islands, so 41 countries. You see young girls, instead of picking the balls up and passing it to their brothers, they're picking it up and kicking and playing themselves. So, you know, the impact the games had. And it, it's interesting because what we would think would be a game changer here in, in North America, um, sometimes it was when I travel, it was parents saying to me, you know what, I watch these women stand up on television 
and speak and articulate how they felt about things. And it dawned on me that that could be my daughter. So it wasn't just the impact of what they did on the field, but it was just seeing the girls in post-games interviews and how they were able to articulate the power of the game in their lives and how the game changed their lives and made them more confident and made them, you know, believe in big dreams. It's interesting that that had as much of an impact on parents throughout the region as the display of, of football or soccer, as we call it in our country. And that's really part of at least a portion of your strategy, right? It's it's more, I don't want to say social movement, but you you use the word empowerment. And there is, uh, there is a lot for these uh, young girls in, in in different areas that 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 many of us have never visited to to grasp onto, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest mission statements for us was to help change the perceptions in our country because, you know, in certain areas, it was football is is, is kind of tomboyish. You know, it's going to make my daughter a little a little too strong. Or sometimes there was even the perception that football would automatically make you gay or football would would make you not attractive you know and it was it it's easy to change perceptions of people who don't know as much as they should know so one of my goals has been to go across to our region and show the power of the game I mean it's my truth because I grew up in the Caribbean I was a shy girl which nobody ever believes and then I moved to Canada and I kicked my first soccer ball and that changed my life and it was important because I didn't go to soccer practice because I loved soccer. I went there and I loved it because I was around other girls who enjoyed playing the game and it was fun and they had energy. And sometimes why kids get, and I think the stat is 76% of girls play the sport for the social aspect. It was just showing to these parents and these members associations that you drop a ball and you make a girl play and you empower her, you automatically empower the community. And she'll have more likely to say no. She'll be more likely to stand up for herself. She'll be more likely to have better grades. And it's amazing how this sport can change the lives of so many people who don't have it in front of them every day. So one of our mission statements, a part of the mission statement, it was to change the perception. And that's been like one of our goals through the way that we communicate it, through the way that we talk about it, through the way that we promote it, is to show that this game is for all. And not only is for all, but this game is for all, and it can change and improve lives of all because of this this ball that you can put anywhere in the world and, and, and make people play. Karina LeBlanc, head of CONCACAF Women's Football with us. So, Karina, leading into the next World Cup, uh, 2023, uh, is there anything uh, in the strategic plan or mission statement? W- where are you trying to go from here? What What is the next step, do you think, uh, leading into that World Cup? Well, we're hoping that we're going to get more bids, um, get more teams in, because we've seen and we've heard of the power of the Jamaican team going in. They were the first ever Caribbean team to ever do that. So if we can get more teams in, that helps us because then it sets that dream to be a reality for a lot of our countries. You know, I mean, before it used to be like, okay, U.S. and Canada will make that make it through. But then all of a sudden, Mexico started to build their program. They have a professional league that's doing excellent right now and it is almost like one of our best practices and you have Costa Rica doing well you have Panama making it decently far you know you have Jamaica making it and you have these countries that other countries now like the Trinidad and Tobago's who have slipped a bit but now they're investing and and, and looking at other opportunities you have Antigua now investing possibly in a coach from the U.S. 
a lot of our different MAs are now starting to look at ways as, you know what, like maybe on the men's side, we're not going to make the World Cup, but on the women's side, this could be a part of our legacy. So with that kind of fruit hang dangling, it's it's making people excited. But for us, like we've, we've set up the strategy and we've broken it down into communication development and growth. And in each of these pillars, it's to make steps of how we do how do we communicate the game better, how do we develop the game better, and how do we grow the game better in, in not only just one of the countries, but all the countries. And I think that was the biggest challenge of how do you create a strategic plan that's that's going to affect 41 countries that have 41 different realities. But I think football can be complicated or it can be simple. And it, if we put at the forum point the, the why which is to improve lives through football. It, it, it didn't get, it, didn't, it wasn't as complicated as, as it, it may have been had we not started with the why. So one of the realities, Karina, is financials. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, while you, and you look at Jamaica and the difficulty Hugh Menzies had just in terms of, you know, his staff and, and, and what they did with uh, without uh, much financial support. I wonder when you go, when, when you're, I don't know what role can CONCACAF play in, in perhaps uh, improving those situations uh, because you talked about it. You, you said that, that in certain countries more money is, putting, uh, is being put towards these programs, but uh, what role can you play in that? Well, I mean, when you come down to the domestic disputes, that comes down between the MA and their, what's going on within them. From us, it's more of, how can we support you? And we start to do our own programs in ways that we can help the situation and the problem. Like, for example, this year we did a pilot of uh, women's only or exclusive to women uh, CONCACAF D license where we brought in only women uh, from our Caribbean MAs. Um, and we did a pilot, so it wasn't all the MAs, but we brought them in together. And we've been doing D licenses in CONCACAF. We've done so many, but we've never done it just for women. And the power of that was that for the first time they felt they felt empowered and their voices were heard, but they felt okay to ask the quote unquote stupid questions because they didn't feel they were judged. And we realized the importance of creating an environment of growth. And the more female coaches we can keep in the game, the more chances we have of, of breaking the stigmas. Because in some of our countries, some parents just don't trust the young girl with the, the male coach, right? But now when they see female coaches and we, we mandated it where it had to be one former player and one coach, but now they see a young girl coaching their young girl or a woman coaching their young girls, they now believe that, you know what, it's a safer. So it's also breaking the stereotypes, but then also keeping the girls in the game because women can relate to women in specific ways. We've come up with different programs where it's almost like, okay, this is the problem. How do we go about making a solution to it without almost stepping out in some of the political issues that may be having, but addressing the problems. And actually this week we're doing the first one in Guatemala, which will be our first Spanish speaking country. So there's always, there's always issues when it comes to football, Right. but for us, it's rather than sitting there and fighting a system that is not really in our control to, to break, how do we go about in a, in a way and find a finance solution so that we can actually help the sport grow with what we can control. And I've heard of uh, women uh, both in licensed courses in the U.S. and uh, overseas that have been in that position where they may have felt a, a bit intimidated and uh, probably not imagining it, but there's just that perception. So I think the idea mm-hmm. of uh, having all women in for this 
D pilot, especially in your situation, you know, ma- made a made a lot of sense because the coaching side of this, right? I mean, these you really have to have educated coaches to go into these countries and totally. do it the right way, right? You know, it's it's interesting because the the problem is, and I and I went in, and it, it's not even that it's a conscious issue; it's a subconscious issue, right? So it's cultural, and sometimes you look and you you know you'd say, well, that's just how they talk in that culture. But the minute that like we stepped in and said, actually, what about doing it this way? The men and women, but especially the men, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'd never thought of it that way. So it's 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 like it's a systematic problem. We have it in in North America too, where you know coaches will just say things because either that's what they've been taught or that's what they think is right. But until you go to the deeper level and say, hey, do you know that that could have been interpreted this way? That's when you start to see what the problem is. And I and I wouldn't even say that the, what we found is the problem is. It was the intention of the male coaches to treat or say or do things that way. I mean, I'm not speaking for everybody, for but there was the majority of the men when I just walked up and said, hey, you know what, like, loved your session today, but I just wanted you to think about one thing. When you said that, it could have been possibly taken this way. And they're like, you know what, thanks for pointing that out to me. I never even thought of it this way. Because now that we have more women interested in the game more now that we have more women empowered to be a part of the game, we just have to be mindful of the way it's communicated. So... I think that was one of the coolest things about this program was that these girls, it was at the end of the week, they, they said they felt so heard, right? Because they were surrounded. They were able to share ideas, share what good things and bad things. And then they started to realize that it wasn't about playing the victim and saying, poor me. I can't believe he said that to me. It was about realizing that sometimes these coaches just, they haven't been educated on what's better to say. And it's not necessarily personal. It's just like, okay, that's what was said I'm not going to take that on right now because I still want to grow my my development in coaching. And I think that's important now because now that these women feel empowered, because, I, again, we can't control if they go back to their countries and by for some reason it happens because it's almost like accepting that it's not necessarily that person's intention to put you down. It was just the way that person has seen it culturally. Um, I think that's where we move forward. Yeah. Words matter, both on the uh... – Political Absolutely. realm and uh, in the coaching realm, um, no question about it. Karina LeBlanc, head of CONCACAF Women's Football, also a, uh, a former Canadian international goalkeeper out of the University of Nebraska, 110 Woo. caps. Yeah, all right. 110 <laughs> caps for the Canadian women's national team. And uh, John Herdman. So he, there's a bit of intrigue, I think, here in the States about Herdman, who is the men's national team coach for Canada. And in a, in a rather unique, uh, I, I, you know, I haven't looked it up. I don't know if it's happened before, but he was the women's national team coach. You worked with him from 2011 through 15. In 2018, he um, resigned from the women's position and became the men's national team coach. So before we get into Herdman, the person, Herdman, the coach, what was what was everybody thinking when that maneuver uh, occurred from the women to the men? I, I would imagine the women were a bit distressed, maybe at a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I remember speaking to the players. I'd retired at that point, um, and and I should, like, but let me interrupt, Karina, because I do. Uh, you're in a position now where I know you have to be. You know, you have to treat things neutrally. So I'm not looking for you to take sides on this, but if I'm on that women's team. And, and my guy leaves for the men. I'm wondering, what's going on here? 
Well, you know, okay, so this is what I can say about John Herdman. He's a builder, right? He he came into our team, and, and, and I'll tell you the first meeting we had, and I have so much respect for John Herdman. So in 2011, our team had come dead last at the World Cup. We were supposed to finish, uh, I think we were ranked like top eight at the time. Uh, so our goals going into was to finish top three, four, and we came dead last. Um, so to say we were a broken group, would have been an understatement. So a couple months later, Canada Soccer hired John Herdman, and we had our meeting, and our first game was against the U.S. Uh, there's a first game for you. Yeah. And in that meeting, he sat us around in a circle rather than in the usual chairs and staring at the coach, and he asked us, what does it mean to be a great Canadian, and what does that take? And he also asked us the most important question, what is your why? Like, why are you even here? And I remember being like, huh? Because if you've ever been broken in life, you're like, have you asked that question? It was a big, I don't know. But what John Herdman did was then he took us on a journey to figuring out our why and, and really understand what it meant to be a Canadian and what it meant to be playing for your country and wearing that flag on your heart. And like no other coach I've ever seen, he was able to bring us together to within nine months from coming dead last at a World Cup to winning an Olympic medal for our country. And what he is great at is building. And what you know about him is that there's few people who work harder than he will. I mean, I think the man sleeps like four or five hours a day, if that. He's he's strategic in his planning. He's a builder. So in terms of women's football in Canada... He took over all the systems. He created the Rex program, which was from bottom up to develop the program. He really is, he, he's a genius in so many ways, but he's also a motivator. He's, he's also a man who can bring, and, and, and I think what was interesting to so many people is how would he bring that motivation? It's almost easier to inspire a group of women uh, to, to be connected on something bigger than to men who have professional salaries in sports and they've been in this, a different environment. But what I do know about John Herdman is that he he's he is probably one of the best leaders I've ever seen. And in terms of leadership, um, I know they were able to get the result the first time and not the second time. But he's a true leader and, and, and just a genius of a coach. And if he makes a mistake, he will sit there over and over and over and say, how did I get a beat? What do I need to do better? He has this his theory is keep, start, stop. So keep doing, start doing and stop doing. And that's just who he is. And and I think the men's team is very fortunate to have him. The women's team, unfortunately, or fortunately, because now they've Kenneth, but they definitely felt the loss, but they understood who John Herdman was. So I, I, I think it's like, it was bittersweet, but I mean, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask me a specific question about who he is uh, in whatever way you want to know. But I, I think every, every person who's played under John would say that was a class act man, but somebody who just, knew how to empower other people to become bigger than the potential that they thought he had. And, and I remember one time we, we, he did a sit down interview. It was after we won the medal and he said, somebody asked him, what is his legacy? And he said that all 18 of these women go on to be far beyond soccer players, but they go on to be leaders in this world. And that's just what he is. He's about something bigger than himself. Well, you mentioned that uh, Rex or that Excel program and that initiated the the uh, debuts of 39 players, so success there. You were 12 in the country, moved to four under his guidance, back-to-back -back, uh, bronze medals at the Olympics. I don't think that had ever uh, happened before. So 
and and now with the men can we let's focus on the motivating part a little bit that's where i'll go specific with you for the coaches and the players that are listening can you, can you give some examples of uh, and i think you already have but maybe some more specific examples of how he motivates well i think you know in, in speaking with him how he motivates the women from the men is different right so for us we came in broken we came in high expectations we came in wanting but like for us we were it, it probably was easy like for him to come in because he'd been in the women's game and get us to connect on something bigger than ourselves was like so i remember we had a leadership group and he took a, a while to pick the group and he said and he brought us in and he's like i've been watching and the lead, you the team responds to you guys so it's not like he came in and he sat and he's like you be the captain and then that's it he was like, when you guys are having a bad day, the team has a bad day. And he took us through leadership where we met several times, just the four of us, on what it meant to be a leader and us to understand the type of leaders that we were. And that's to figure out what lane we were in and to stick and nail that lane, not try to be a leader of every type, right? Because there's introverts who are leaders, leaders, there's extroverts. There's leaders who lead by example. There's leaders who are the ones of the spirit and the soul of the team. So one of the things he did was he identified who his group was. And first he was like, seek first to understand before wanting to be understood. And I think that's also what he's done with the men is that he's understood who are these men. You know, what he did in the women's game is not going to be a carbon copy of what you do in the men. And, and, and men in football have had a different journey than the women have had in football. So I, I think one of the interesting things for him was, and again, I haven't been in that camp, was to figure out how do you get the best of those men and how do you get the best to make these men believe that they're all leaders and it's their time to step up and shine? And and I think one of the things was it was just like for us, he helped, he empowered each and every one of us. And he said, you're only as good as your weakest link. So it wasn't like we weren't disconnected. We understood like for us going into the Olympics, our goal was to inspire that next generation of people. So once we figured out that we weren't going to that Olympics to win a medal, but we were going to inspire that next generation of people, then we were able to change the culture that we were in conducive to that. So every single action we made was conducive to inspire the next generation. And I'll tell you, Glenn, there was such a shift in culture where, I mean, to this day, I can't, I still can't spit out gum in the street <laughs> because <laughs> it was like, we, he was like, okay, what does that culture look like? What are, what does it look like for you as a human being? What does that look like as you as a teammate? What's it look like as you as a, 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 to your family members? And we shifted the culture where we said, okay, if this is average and this is where the world sits, if you actually want to be an inspiration to that next generation, what are the actions you have to do day in and day out? How do you speak? How do you sound? If you want to do that, how are you as a teammate? And it, we literally shifted the way that we were to each other. And it was interesting in the game Canada against U.S. when we lost at Old Trafford, which was an amazing game. Um, when we lost again, so we're like, okay, we've let the country down. The interesting thing is we went to that Olympics again. Everybody wants to win a medal, but we wanted to inspire that next generation, that nation. And he brought a clip that had been played where it started with our prime minister and just Canadians and bars being packed and just the shift. And that's when we realized that it's interesting what we went to inspire our nation had come back to inspire us. And it's a great lesson in life. If you actually are connected and inspired by something bigger than yourself, that stuff comes back to you. And it's sports is a great teller of truth of life because it's the same thing in life. If, if, if you're a coach listening and 
and you're like, how do I get my team motivated, connected on them? It's not you telling them what to do. It's you bringing them in and you asking them, hey, what is it that makes you want to play this game? Why are you even here? And most coaches would have come in and said, hey, guys, we're going to go win the medal, and this is how we're going to do it. But the thing is, when you're playing, and again, it's a different situation, when you're playing in front of a sold-out stadium and you have the pressures of everything, the players on the field actually have to be able to step up and, and, and figure it out themselves. And all the coaching in the world you could do in that moment of pressure, in that moment of, of everything's on that line, the players have to be able to find it within themselves to figure it out. And that's what John Herdman was able to do. He was able to help us figure out within ourselves what we needed to figure out to be successful, quote unquote. But our success was driven by more than just the medal and the end result. Our successful was driven by something truly impacting others, if that even makes sense. It <laughs> makes sense. My head it, does. it makes sense. <laughs> Karina LeBlanc, our guest, and if I told you that she's a motivational speaker, I'm sure you would not be surprised. She was my assistant coach at Rutgers University, 2005 through 2009. She played for John Herdman. That's our focus right now. Herdman, uh, perhaps maybe uh, completing the belief that his players had in him now with the men. Karina, you were coach with him uh, on the women's side, 2011, 2015, but now on the men. They beat the U.S. 3-0. That's got to be a moment that uh, stands in some sort of historical perspective in Canada. And then Herdman's ways proved to be effective. Yeah, I mean, that was a big win in Canada. And I think it was a big win for the men's program, too. And it was almost it was a big win for John because a lot of people doubted him, saying, OK, yeah, you're successful on the women's side. Um, <laughs> well, I wondered, but I wondered how much of that was going on. So there was there was quite a bit of that. Well, I mean, again, it's not pressures John puts on himself. John's pressures is is for for him, for the team to be successful. But, I mean, media-wise, I mean, there's other people saying that. But I think anybody who's worked with John knew that he'd find success. And I think, you know, if if the goal is is to be successful right away, then I think you're looking at it wrong. For him, it was a long-term vision. And he's always been a a guy who's vision clear. So, that win Canada USA. I mean, this has been a rivalry from hockey to soccer. Like it's a ri- ri- rivalry all over. But I think the most important thing is that it was a good next step. It wasn't his end goal, right? I think if you look at the 2026 World Cup or even this World coming up, this World Cup men's World Cup coming up, he wants to be able to make Canada better than it was in the past. And it's not going to be a, a, a one shoe ride to the top. It's going to take time. It's going to take developing the men's game throughout the country. It's going to take, you know, changing mindsets of, of where men's football is in, in Canada. But I think the good thing about John is that he sees the big picture. It's not, he's not narrow-minded in his focus. And that's one thing I can tell you from knowing him. That's just the type of man he is. Karina, one more specific, if you could, in regard to his, uh, his coaching, because I remember uh, you always told me how impressed you were with him when he first came on board. And uh, I do remember you specifically saying, and this is uh, th- these words are used in coaching a lot, attention to detail. But you said he was like beyond. It was oh, <laughs> like yeah. not, like nothing you had seen. You, you got a couple examples there. Well, yeah. I mean, I I would say John probably knows the session plan for November twentieth, twenty twenty two already. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, and, uh, and that's not because he wants everything to be in a straight line. It's, it's, it's his foundation set. 
and he already has he starts with the end in mind and works backwards and he he looks at the ecosystem of the game it's not just okay and and, and i know the men's game is different from the women's game because i remember when i spoke to him He's like, you know what? It's not like with with the women when we'd have like 20 days together or 15 days together, right? You have a short session. You have that FIFA window, and you get in, you get out, you get out. But in that time, I'm sure he's the his attention to detail is is from like how many bags the equipment manager should be carrying and making sure they have all the heart rate monitors and making sure the sports scientist is making sure that everything's checking on on point to making sure he's watching the games, to knowing where the players are, to the injury status, all these things. And then they'll come down to, okay, when it's time to worry about the game plan, that's, that's, that's his joy. You know, like, if, you ever, if you've ever been in a working room with John, and first of all, like, he's the guy who's up at, like, like I said, he's probably up at 4.30 in the morning. He's got his jam session music on, and he's watching clips, and he's typing, and he's writing. But he's also inspiring and motivating other people. If you're around him, you don't get to just do things average, right? Like, if you're working for John Herdman, you're not going to work any normal hour. <laughs> you know, it's he's he's tapping into and he's thinking about this and he's thinking light years ahead. But the detail to that moment and being able to react to people in that moment is is dead on too. I mean, that's why I said I've seen I've not I haven't seen much like it. You know, because and that's why I said he's a builder. And and when when. When the announcement came on, I remember I sent him a message and I was like, hey. <laughs> and the conversation was, I mean, he's, he's loved this time with the women's game, but it, he always wants to do things to pass on for other people to take, take over. He's not trying to do it for a lifetime. Right. And I think his relationship with Kenneth was, you know what, this is a good time for you to take over. You're, it's your time to shine. I'm going to jump into this, this thing where everyone's saying I'll fail. And I'm going to try to build it. And if I fail, at least I fail trying to build something great rather than just staying stuck. Is it, safe, know, is it safe to say, Karina, you personally aren't surprised that uh, he's done well with the men and there seems to be progress? Yeah. I knew, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I, I knew it was going to happen. But, no, when I saw that result, I, I kind of just watched and smiled for him because, you know, it's and, – and I say that because he's done the same thing for me, Glenn. Like – that's why I say he was so much more than just a coach where like, even when I was thinking of taking this position, he was like, brilliant. You go do it. <laughs> you know? And it was just, he's hey, like, Oh, what, what an opportunity to learn and grow, you know? And, and Karina, just- I, I know when you go out and speak uh, a lot of times, uh, your motivational moments uh, and you, you said it at the outset regarding John Herbin, the first meeting where he asked all of you, what is your why? That's yeah. one of your components, right? Absolutely. Because it, it's, I think everybody should have that in life, whether you're a coach or a father or a player. I think it's like one of the most important questions you can ask yourself is like, why am I actually here on this earth? And it, it I've never been asked that question. <laughs> you know what I mean? I played for my country, I think at that point, like for 13 years, and I knew I wanted to you know, be one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And I wanted to be a good teammate. I wanted to be a good sister and daughter. But, um, uh, you know, like to actually sit there and like figure out why am I actually here on this earth, which is so important because we all are here on this earth because we all have something unique we bring. Yet society will make us think we all blend into the same way. 
And he did that with us on the team. And ever since, yeah, I go around challenging people to living their why because it's so important. Because once you're able to do that, you're living a life of purpose, which makes you wake up early and not hit the snooze button, which gives you enthusiasm in what you're doing. Because you're never doing a job. You're living your purpose. And I think that's one of the things he instilled in us. And, you know, it's, it's, it's relevant. I mean, John, I, I've, I've heard his keynotes. He's a phenomenal speaker. <laughs> and it's like, I've, I've known this man for so long and I sit there clapping. I'm like, well done. Because, but imagine if you had that every single day. I mean, for me, I think I was blessed in that aspect to have that every single day. And now the men have that aspect. And, but again, it's, it's, he just finds, and it's important for us. And I know you said, if you're a coach listening in, but whoever your listeners are, it's so important to ask yourself, no matter what age you are or what you're doing, ask yourself, why am I actually here on this friggin' earth? <laughs> like, because why go through life being average and thinking that you're average or you're just meant to do something boring? Why not leave this world an E for empty because you actually did something that you were proud of and every single day you're going towards it, even on your worst day. That's the head of women's football in CONCACAF, Karina LeBlanc. And that'll do it for this episode. In our next program, you'll meet the newest member of the New York City Football Club, an exclusive sit-down with 17-year-old homegrown Tavon Gray, plus new sporting director David Lee and academy director Sam Pugsley. This is Glenn Crooks on Frame.